0: Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. My name's Rick Samprin. We get the details of a new BIPOC entrepreneurship program in Hamilton. Juno Award winner Serena Ryder shares her story about struggling with her mental health. Will Erin O'Toole remain leader of the federal conservatives? Hamilton's COVID-19 recovery framework has been unveiled. And a new survey shows that despite COVID restrictions being eased, anxiety and depression remain high. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast starts now. Wake up with the information you
1: need to get the most out of your day. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML.
0: An exciting new entrepreneurship program in the city of Hamilton, but this is going to focus on the black indigenous people of color community. Uh, It's a new local community initiative that is being put on by the city of Hamilton. Uh, McMaster University and Redeemer University. And here to share more information on it is Michael Marini from Hamilton's Economic Development Department. Michael, how are you? Good. How are you today, Rick? Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for coming on so early in the morning. Um, why was this program created? Was there a need in the community?
2: There absolutely is a need. Um, so looking at the COVID-19 pandemic, it really laid bare uh the inequities um, that's happening in our community and, and certainly across the world when you talk about uh, the bipoc communities so in uh, the city of hamilton um you know as as public servants what we try to do is we try to ascertain what is happening in society uh, how we can help and how we can change city services to more uh, reflect the needs of the community so uh, unfortunately, we can't be everywhere and uh, the Economic Development uh, Office can't fix everything, but uh, certainly we have a large hand in the, uh, the economics of what's happening in, in society. And so we, we took a, a very hard look at uh, how we provide services, uh, what's being offered to marginalized communities, uh, particularly BIPOC communities. And said, how can we change our services or how can we create new services? And, and that's where we are right now, working with uh, Mohawk, uh, sorry, uh, McMaster University and Redeemer University to create new BIPOC entrepreneurship programming uh, that best serves the Hamilton community.
0: So, what's that going to look like?
2: So, right now, it's a phase process. Um, so, phase one uh, that will take place from September to December of this year. Redeemer University students will be doing uh, what's a, called a SWOT analysis, strength, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, and basically trying to understand where are the BIPOC businesses in the Hamilton area, uh, how many members are in those uh, those businesses, are in the communities, and what are some of the best practices that exist across North America in terms of uh, BIPOC entrepreneurship. So they'll try to come up with the, the raw data of, of what exists now, and then what will happen in January to April of 2022, they'll hand that information off to McMaster University students, and the McMaster University students will be doing that quantitative analysis to understand the uh, direct needs of Hamilton's BIPOC community. So that will include focus groups, uh, surveys, uh, one-on-one interviews, and so they're gonna they're going to take that background information from Redeemer and then turn it into uh, questions they can be asking of our our BIPOC community members in terms of entrepreneurship. And then in April, we'll get a a list of recommendations from Redeemer and McMaster as to what we can do to to start to really build effective and responsive uh, BIPOC entrepreneurship uh, programs.
0: We're chatting about a new BIPOC entrepreneurship program in the city of Hamilton with Michael Marini from the Economic Development Department here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. My name's Rick Samprin. Thanks for joining us uh, this morning. Uh, so, you spoke about phase one and phase two. So, could this program benefit current BIPOC entrepreneurs, or is this just for new entrants into the field?
2: No, it, it's, uh, it's designed to assist anyone who wants to get into entrepreneurship or is currently in. Uh, an entrepreneur, entrepreneurship position. So, you know, we are already uh, having discussions with organizations like uh, Black Owned Hamilton, uh, and of course, our Hamilton Immigration Partnership Council office um, is embedded within the Economic Development Office, and that's a critical piece, Rick, because what uh, that office is is set up to do is to help with immigrant entrepreneurship, to help with um, settlement services. Uh, to really help uh, the immigrants to Canada and to Hamilton in particular in their uh, journey in terms of citizenship and, and working in and education. So we're gonna be leaning heavily on, uh, you know, Black-owned Hamilton, HIPC, uh, the Hamilton Center for Civic Inclusion. We wanna work with our community partners It won't just be the city coming up with ideas. This is really designed uh, to work directly with the BIPOC communities and to understand their needs and to ensure that they have a strong voice to be part of the solution.
0: You mentioned earlier on that the pandemic has certainly heightened the awareness around some of the barriers that exist right now for the BIPOC community. Um, w- which barriers need to be broken down the quickest or or, 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 or the hardest, if you will?
2: Well, we'll find out. Uh, I don't want to put the cart before the horse uh, in terms of what the research will tell us, but we do um, acknowledge that Hamilton uh, does not have BIPOC specific programming for entrepreneurs right now. Uh, The, the, uh, the programs we offer through our Hamilton business center, which was formerly known as our, our small business enterprise center. um, It really runs the gamut of society. There, there isn't a program that specifically calls out and uh, tries to, um, to give a helping hand directly to identifiable groups. And, uh, you know, looking at the, the COVID situation, looking at our own economic development action plan, uh, that's kind of like the blueprint for the next five years uh, for the economy, which will be presented to council sometime next month. Uh, we really want to look at this from an, uh, an EDI lens, an equity, diversity and inclusion lens. Um, and so we're, we're acknowledging that we're, we're falling short here. Uh, but this partnership uh, through the city lab project hopefully will will put us on a, a greater footing to uh, acknowledge where we're falling short uh, and to recognize the program and that will best serve our community
0: we have about a minute left here once the recommendations come back to the economic development departments uh, in and around April how soon can a new program be developed
2: well we're gonna we're gonna find out um, from the research, what the possibilities are, and part of that research is to identify funding uh, envelopes. And so, our uh, Hamilton Business Center is already aware of uh, a number of opportunities, and we'll try to use that research to give us greater, uh, you know, guidance uh, as to what uh, funding envelopes to go after from the upper levels of government, uh, or even, um, you know, trying to create programming uh, within uh, the municipal structure. So. We're going we're gonna to wait for those results, but but certainly we're already thinking about what, what exists out there and we're trying to uh, make this a reality as quickly as possible.
0: It's a very much needed program in this community. Uh, kudos for launching into this and hopefully we see some uh, great things uh, in the years to come. Michael, really appreciate the time.
2: Thanks again, Rick.
0: Michael Morini from the Economic Development Department with the City of Hamilton, uh, chiming in on the city's new BIPOC Entrepreneurship Program. And hopefully we can see some results starting in 2022 and beyond. How about
1: some news and opinion to go with your coffee? This is Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML.
0: The ninth annual Mental Health Morning in support of the St. Joseph's Healthcare Foundation is on tap on October the 7th. It's going to be held virtually and will be headlined by keynote speaker, Juno Award winning musician and mental health advocate Serena Ryder. And the singer-songwriter joins us on Good Morning Hamilton to share her personal mental health journey. Serena, you have an extraordinary story to tell. Can you share some of it with our listeners today?
3: I'm really excited about doing this project with Mental Health Morning uh, through St. Joseph's because a big part of what I'm doing right now, the, the, the actual um, you know, precipice of everything, is surrounding my mental health, uh, mental wellness journey. And that's what my whole album is about, The Art of Falling Apart. And so I actually started by creating a keynote speech called The Art of Falling Apart about my mental wellness journey. And then ended up having um, some writing sessions booked. And the whole album just fell out of me as the speech because I had just been doing the keynote speech about this. And so it was a really interesting Um, experience because I went into the studio with this almost already created album and the part about being able to do this mental health morning is that I get to not only share my journey of mental wellness but also I get to perform a bunch of the songs from the record and tell everybody what is the message and the story behind those songs. So it's a really awesome opportunity for me to kind of marry, you know, that keynote and my story with the actual songs. So I'm so looking forward to it.
0: The Art of Falling Apart is a great title that I think everyone can relate to because we've all fallen apart at some stage. When you were falling apart, how did you drag yourself back to what you've become today?
3: Well, that's kind of the whole um, part of the journey for me as there was no dragging. And finally, I was able to see that those uncomfortable moments and those very, um, and it's, it's saying uncomfortable moments when it comes to mental wellness um, is just a blip on the map mm-hmm. because it's profoundly painful what so many of us go through but there was a wisdom that I discovered that if I allowed myself to find trust in myself in knowing that my symptoms were actually messengers telling me a wisdom that I needed to know in order to go forward and to transform. Instead of shutting them off, I was able to sit in those uncomfortable places. And that's how transformation happens, right? If you look at you know the birth of a butterfly. What it has to go through in order to become that butterfly is it goes into a cocoon. So let's think of that cocoon as depression. Let's think of it as, you know, falling apart. The butterfly actually turns into ooze and falls apart inside of this cocoon. And I feel like so many people are so scared of that because the other people around them are reflecting their fear onto them saying, Oh, we want you to be better. We want you to be good. We want you to be okay. And of course, they're doing it from a place of love. But they're also doing it from a place of fear because seeing somebody fall apart really is scary, especially when you love them. You want them to be okay. But a huge part of transformation and the only way to actually transform is to fall apart. So if someone were to go and try and help that butterfly out of the cocoon or, you know, the butterfly stopped mid turning into ooze it wouldn't become the butterfly and so that is the essence behind you know this whole journey for me has been allowing myself to really be in that place of uncomfort because I know what comes after now I know what comes after and that transformation is priceless and the only person that can allow that transformation to happen is you. You are the only person that can do that. And so mental wellness, from my experience, means trusting myself.
0: What did you learn about yourself in terms of becoming vulnerable or allowing yourself to become vulnerable, trusting yourself, knowing that there is a light at the end of the tunnel, some days it might not be as bright as you were originally hoping, Talk about that day-to-day or that week-to-week kind of metamorphosis of becoming that butterfly.
3: Yeah, so mental wellness is definitely not a linear journey. Mm-hmm. And so what I've learned is that there are no steps and no order. There's steps, but there there is not an order. And each step is different for every person. So in order to be able to transform i realized that all of my symptoms were actually my messengers and that i started listening to them and listening to myself and things that didn't quite translate as you know what the outside world had for me as a formula for healing i realized that you know in trusting myself i don't really need to follow a formula but i followed many for many many years And in order to learn what you do want, learning what you don't want is just as important. And so I needed to go through, um, you know, I've been in therapy since I was 17, different, different um, therapists, counselors, psychiatrists. Um, I, I tried many different kinds of medications Um, And was looking for kind of an answer um, to this unsolvable puzzle, because that's what life is. And we can only pretend to know anything as human beings, because we are such a small blip in the reality of the world. You know, even in science, when we think about the science of quantum physics, the science of uh, genetic history, You know, there's only so much this little noggin can like actually know because the thing with science is that it's always changing because we're always finding new um, data. And so for me, you know, the day-to-day things where I was like, oh, maybe I'll do this. I'll do this diet. I'll wake up at this time every morning. And and I found that as a human and I found that as a human living on planet Earth, we have so many different seasons, right? We have seasons, especially living in Canada. We have many seasons. And as human beings, we do too. And without the winter, the spring would not happen. And so I feel like what I realized is that Yeah, of course we all want it to be summer all the time in our human bodies and everything to be great and us to be so productive and stuff. But in order to be super productive, we have to have the winter, you know? And there's a line in one of my songs, it's like, even green things grow underneath a blanket of snow. And that snow needs to happen in order for the cycles and the seasons. And we become such, um, we become so much greater in our springs and our summers, when we really allow winters to happen. And so that's what my mental wellness journey is all about. And it's not linear and it's something I'm always learning. I will have winter again. You know, mm. I know that I will have winter again, but maybe it won't be as cold because maybe I won't be, you know, trying to turn on the heat inside really, really high. And then, you know, my air conditioner, my proverbial air conditioner will break and then the whole house will be freezing. Maybe I'll keep my heat a little lower. Maybe I'll light a fire, you know, those kind of things. It's like, you can light a fire. You don't have to burn the whole house down. You know, it's about maintenance. It's about patience. It's about so many things, but more so it's about us trusting ourselves. And this is my own experience and my own journey and may not mean poop to someone else. And it doesn't need to because they know the best for themselves. And that's what I'm learning and that's, you know, what I want to keep unlearning um, that I know any answers or anything that is solid because it's so much more beautiful and nourishing to be able to not know what's coming next because it could be amazing. It's like, who doesn't love a surprise, mm-hmm. you know? But we do know that seasons are coming. So just being prepared for those seasons and allowing them to have their own you know, internal wisdom, that's mental wellness to me.
0: I know we're pressed for time, so one more from me. Uh, During your keynote address to a mental health morning, what do you hope the takeaway is for people who are attending the event?
3: I would love to be able to compassionately connect to anyone who feels like they feel alone and that somebody else knows better than they do, I would love to inspire people to trust themselves more than anyone else.
0: It's a great message. I'm sure a lot of people will take that to heart and uh, be better off for it. Serena, thanks for the time. Thank you. Uh, Serena has been playing uh, guitar and writing songs since she was a teen and uh, really on the outside. She was a rising international star. On the inside, though, as you can tell from our discussion, she was battling a deep depression. It um, really triggered an identity crisis. She had panic attacks on stage. It was not a good scenario. But her story is an amazing one, and clearly now in a better place. So that is great to hear. Um, as far as a mental health morning, the uh, Saint Joseph's Healthcare Foundation will also be celebrating people uh, at that event who have overcome mental health or addiction challenges, or made impactful contributions to the mental uh, healthcare or addiction field through the 2021 Spirit of Hope Awards, and you can get more information online at Foundation.ca slash mental health morning. So it should be a fun event on uh, October the 7th, and probably more so an inspiring event for anyone who is struggling with mental health or has had addiction challenges or is having addiction challenges. I'm sure Serena's message will inspire many at that event and probably even beyond uh, to seek help, get to a better place. And uh, that's our hope uh, for all of you who are in that situation right now. This is
1: Good Morning Hamilton with Riggs Zamperin on 900 CHML.
2: We started a process that will involve all parts of the party to make sure we learn those lessons to win the trust next time. I've, I'm very, very proud of the gains we made. But we didn't get far enough. We will next time.
0: That is Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole reflecting on Monday's election defeat to the hands of the Trudeau Liberals. Once again, we're in a minority situation. And Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole lost a couple of seats compared to what the Tories did in 2019 under then-leader Andrew Shear and uh, some are suggesting that, uh, yeah, we should move forward with O'Toole. Uh, There are some, and that's usually the case in these situations uh, where uh, people stand up and say, "Eh, maybe we should do something different. Maybe we need a different voice atop the party. David Tarrant is Vice President, National Strategic Communications with Enterprise Canada and former communications strategist with Prime Minister Stephen Harper's office and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. David, good morning. How are you?
4: Hey, good morning, Rick. Hope you're still dry.
0: Uh, we we're, we're trying to get there it's uh, it's it's a tough situation for sure uh with uh, the the deluge of rain we've gotten over the last little while um, I know you don't want to lurk too far into the weeds here, but did aaron O'Toole do enough to save his job
4: he has a fight on his hands Rick i mean he's he's you know, i think he's entitled to try uh, i mean in your little in your lead in I think you summarize it uh, quite well uh, you know, he made a a deliberate strategic best to um to uh, to move the party uh, in, a, in a more progressive direction on a variety of issues that are actually near and dear to the hearts of many uh, conservative voters, and uh, that that didn't pay off. And so uh, I'll, there's going to be a lot of people within the conservative party who said, you know, uh, you know, we were told that we were too hardcore, we were too extreme in 2019. We gave we gave a lot of rope to a leader to move us in a more more quote unquote moderate position we actually did worse. And, uh, and certainly there's things about Mr. Tools campaign. You can be proud of. Uh, I think, I thought some parts of the more were very thoughtful. I thought his campaign was disciplined, but that fundamental equation, uh, is going to be a really, really, uh, uh Situation, and he has some hard questions he has to answer if he wants to hang on to his job.
0: We had a uh, political science professor on the show the other day that basically said, you know, Tool's strategy was to get a little bit closer to the center and not far right as the party has been, in an effort to, um, yeah, realize that some votes might be lost on the prairies, but that strategy will translate into far more votes. In voter-rich Ontario and maybe other places like BC and even Quebec, Th- that plan didn't work for this election. Um, long-term, could that work? Um, I, I
4: mean, there's just smart people uh, who who say that it will. I, mean, I I do find it interesting that uh, you know did, there's lots of discussion and debate about the wisdom of Mr. Tool's approach. And certainly, I see a lot of journalists and pundits and commentators who uh, quite clearly are not. Conservatives in their disposition, saying we should give this guy a second chance because Mister Tool is a kind of conservative leader they've been kind of pining for for a long time. Uh, but there's a different debate uh, within the Conservative Party about about whether this, about whether people, like, you know, agree with Mister Tool's positions. There's a lot of people, uh, conservative voters, not just conservative members, but conservative voters, who vote for the Conservative Party precisely because it's the one party that social conservatives vote uh, at home in or the one party that uh, that didn't make you feel like you're an environmental vandal for opposing a carbon tax. Um, as you move further away from those positions, and if those people stop chilling at home in the Conservative Party, well, for every one voter Mr. O'Toole loses uh, on, say, the right side of his big tent, we have to find two more on the other side to come into it. Right? it, it a lot of the math people are talking about growing the Conservative, Conservative Party uh, really implies that that, that the people are, who are say on the more conservative side of the party are happy to stay in a tent when when uh, the view, the issues are near and dear to them are uh, not just being moderated or being abandoned, and, and so the electoral calculation there I think is a little more complicated than some of the commentators are giving it credit for.
0: Our guest is David Tarrant, Vice President, Nastra, National Strategic Communications Enterprise Canada, also a former communications strategist with Prime Minister Stephen Harper. How big of a concern to the Tories is the PPC? Uh,
4: it, 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 it's, it's not insignificant, Rick. Uh, the degree I'm, I hear different opinions from different folks. Like, you know, I'm a, Rick, I'm a political nerd. I do what political nerds did. At the after election, I went through and looked at writing by writing results. And I found a couple of, of places in Ontario and a couple of places in Canada where clearly uh, the PPCs will cost the Conservative seats. I think I found five, uh, maybe six. Some said Timmins might have been, been the sixth one. Like Niagara Center, clearly. The PPC cost to conserve the Conservative seat in Niagara Center. Kitchener Conestoga, same way. You know, then you go to Edmonton Center, and there's a couple of seats in BC where the PPC will clearly cost. But then it kind of gets harder. So I'd want to say maybe there's, there's clearly six seats in Canada where the PPC splintering costs the Conservative seat. Um, so not insignificant, uh, not enough to materially change the outcome of the election. But I suppose I would say, had those six seats gone to Mr. O'Toole, then we wouldn't be saying, oh, you underperformed compared to Anna Tushir. He would had, had four or five more seats in his in his win column. So it's not insignificant, but certainly yeah, I don't think it's material to the, the impact of the election um, on Monday night. Uh,
0: on the surface, you are right. You know, 125 looks a lot better than 119, that's for sure. Um, as far as the other parties go, NDP leader Jagmeet Singh appears to be safe. Green Party leader Annamie Paul is probably on the way out. Am I reading the tea leaves correct?
4: Yeah, I mean, the Green Party is, uh, I, I think, the side with Ms. Paul, who is a personally an impressive person. And the genesis of Ms. Paul's leadership troubles, so I think, were based on, on, on her making an impressive stand where um, the Green Party has an anti-Semitism problem, and she made a stand to try to ensure the Green Party wasn't a home for anti-Semitic views. Um, she did it, however, in, in how that unfolded, two problems involved I think her... She showed a, a less than delicate leadership touch in managing a, a disruptive and unruly caucus and leadership structure of our party, and that's and that's certainly cost her as well. Uh, and, and there's the fact as well that institutionally, institutionally, the party, the Green Party itself, has proven to be com- completely uh, dysfunctional. And you know, I think part of that might go back to her predecessor, Miss May, who you know, while she was kind of putting the Green Party on the map, the Green Party more and ever seems to have been built as a, as a personality vehicle. Or Ms. May, because structurally and institutionally, uh, the way this party, which actually should have be, been, you know, uh, being a moment of growth, uh, had succeeded to to you know, quite publicly and visibly commit suicide on the public stage is, is really quite shocking. Uh, so, so that, that's the other thing. But the party and Ms. Paul have, have issues to need to reconcile.
0: Got about thirty seconds. Um, Liberal leader Justin Trudeau wins a minority. Is it time for his cabinet to be shuffled around? Oh. Uh,
4: it, it, I, I hope so. I mean, you know, he, it's uh, Justin. People are saying election night. Oh, Justin Trudeau. You know, this is going to be a humble, contrite Justin Trudeau. Well, Justin Trudeau doesn't do humble or contrite, and his victory speech was far less self-aware than I think some of the people were, were billing. Um, either he recognizes he's been sent a message on Monday night or not. If if he once again, having lost the popular vote, the lowest share of the popular vote in Canadian history for our, for a prime minister, if 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 if, if he views that as a resounding. Endorse a second minority, a resounding endorsement of, of his approach to the government. And he trots out the same crew while we show a shocking lack of self awareness. Yes, he's still a prime minister, but he's ultimately sent a message that your approach to government is, is, not, is not something that Canadians are prepared to give a blank check to. So I certainly hope to see him make some significant changes to show that finally he's willing to listen, to learn, and be able to grow himself.
0: David, always appreciate the time. Thanks a lot for this. Take care, Rick. You too. David Tarrant, Vice President, National Strategic Communications, Enterprise Canada, former communications strategist with Prime Minister Stephen Harper's office.
1: Serving up a healthy dose of news, traffic, and engaging opinion. This is Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML. We'll be looking for advice from the Medical Officer of Health in terms of timing. Uh, What we don't want to do is bring staff back. Uh, too early, and then have to send staff back home again, and the disruption that that would cause. So, that's an important consideration for us. That
0: is Emergency Operations Director for the City of Hamilton, Jason Thorne, talking about the city's new return to the workplace plan, which is also being implemented throughout the private sector as well. As you know, if you're in a workplace, uh, whether it's a bank or wh- whatever uh, that workplace is, there is a work to or return to workplace plan in effect or being developed as we speak. Um, the city of Hamilton obviously undergoing through this process. What does it look like? Well, let's bring in Hamilton City Manager Jeanette Smith to Good Morning Hamilton. Jeanette, good morning. How are you?
5: Good morning, Rick. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for
0: coming on. So what does this return to work plan look like at City Hall?
5: Well, I think, first of all, we have to remember 75, uh, 80% of our staff have been out delivering services out in the community every day, but we have had about 20% of our workforce who quickly pivoted to work from home. And so we're now turning our minds to how do we bring those employees back safely? Uh, what do we look like, like all employers around health and safety, around physical distancing in the office, um, capacity limits and sm- Smaller spaces, we have to look at technology. A lot of our buildings have been sitting quiet, and we need to uh, uh, get the technology all hooked up again. And also, in terms of getting our facilities ready, things like ensuring the HVAC systems are operating properly. So, we're kind of looking at that from all three lenses.
0: Safe to say that not all 20% of those who are working from home want to come back or will be able to come back.
5: Yeah, I think that's something all of us are are grappling with is that um, we've created this new workplace model almost overnight with the pandemic, where a number of staff who traditionally have worked in the office are now working from from home. And uh, so we've recognized that, that um, for some employees working from home, they can be just as productive. And for some, it's a great way to find that work-life balance. Um, you're not sitting in traffic commuting. But we also know we have a number of other uh, sets of employees that it really is better in terms of service delivery for them to be in the office where they can do those face-to-face with all the um, uh, public health measures in place and give those services. And then there's some other employees that we know they have to work collaboratively with their their peers and passing things back and forth. And some of that is easier to do in person. So we're going to be going through and, and having conversations between our supervisors and our staff about what workplace uh, coming back to the workplace looking like and what workers may continue to work from home.
0: How much feedback have you received from city employees?
5: Um, well We started as we worked out this model we had um, I've never seen so enthusiasm. Our director group volunteered to do focus groups and give us input, and we've certainly had one-to-one feedback from our employees. We do every three years, it's called an Our People Survey, where we go out and survey all our employees. And so that survey is currently in place. We're going to have all that feedback. I've been certainly looking at some feedback that other municipal um governments have been getting where for some employees they really want to come back Um, they miss the interaction with their colleagues and it's easier and for others and we've seen it here our sick times gone down and they felt their mental health was better because they can balance work and family demands by working from home so we've had a lot of input so far It's been at an organizational-wide level, and now we'll have to start talking about it work unit by work unit.
0: We're getting a glimpse of Hamilton's uh, COVID-19 recovery framework with City Manager Jeanette Smith here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Uh, What's going to be the biggest hurdle in implementing this plan?
5: Um I'm not sure there's I'd say there's one big biggest hurdle. I think what we will definitely be doing is um having all those conversations. Change is always hard for people and so um it'll be for some, it's not happening fast enough. They want to get to the workplace, but we need to do a staged approach, building by building, and getting those HVAC systems and the technology all re-hooked up and the, the protocols in place uh, will take a bit of time. So I think for some, it'll be happening too fast, and for others, it's change again, because we've been in this pattern of working for 18 months now, and so it'll be a change going back to pre-pandemic.
0: I know there's a lot of uh, City of Hamilton workers who listen to this radio station, and we do thank them for the support. There's a lot more, uh, you know, normal citizens or general residents of this city who listen to the show as well. And they're wondering, well, how is this framework going to impact us? How are residents going to be impacted?
5: I think one of the things you have to remember, one of our key priorities is we want to ensure we 're continuing to provide the best service to the public. Our employees that means a lot to them. I have seen employees go above and beyond during that pandemic to make sure our services continue so for the public um, we will ensure there's no negative impacts for the types of changes we're doing and we also continue to regular basis get feedback I I think one of the things we did during the pandemic is push some of our services to be offered online and that's consistent with how we live our day-to-day lives now with interacting with banks and stores and we want to continue to provide that option to our um, residents because for some it's more convenient for them to do some of the services with us after hours uh, when they've got more time so we're going to continue to do that and I think um, for the employees that are listening I just also have to say thank you to them they really have stepped up some employees were redeployed to work at a vaccination center something they'd uh, never done before in terms of logistics or managing the personal protective um, supplies etc they really have stepped out the pandemic and I want to thank them
0: Last question for you, uh, City Manager Jeanette Smith here on Good Morning Hamilton. Is there a timeline for this framework to be ending anytime soon?
5: Well, in terms of bringing the employees back, um, we're really watching what's happening with the, the Delta variant. We do know being indoors is one of the higher risk areas. And we also know in the workplace it's higher risk because we feel so much comfortable with our colleagues for work that we sometimes forget that physical distancing and all want to go in the lunchroom together at the same time and take our masks off to eat. So we're going to watch the numbers continue to get advice from our medical officer of health, continue to look at what areas of those 20% of staff working from home that they are experiencing some challenges in delivering the service and prioritize those to come back. So we don't have a date. We committed to give our employees some advance notice because people have arrangements on child care and drop-offs and we want to give them chances to make those uh, arrangements. And, um, and we'll start letting the public know when that happens, if anything is changing.
0: Lastly, does everyone, uh, does every city employee who comes back to City Hall or any of the other facilities in the city have to be fully vaccinated and will medical exemptions uh, be accepted as well?
5: Yeah, um, back in August, uh, we made the decision to have mandatory vaccination verification for all our employees because truly we're seeing that vaccination is the way to go. It's it's the one way we're going to uh, live with this virus or get out of this pandemic. And so health and safety is a key priority, both for our employees and our uh, community uh, residents and businesses that we interact with. So um, employees had a deadline uh, last week to submit their vaccine verification For those that didn't, and we did get 67%, and of those, 97% are vaccinated. We're having some education sessions this week, and um, then we'll have other deadlines to submit vaccine verification. And for those that aren't vaccinated, do not have medical exemptions they uh, will be required to do regular testing before they can come onto the workplace. And we're not unique in that way. We're seeing it for other employers as well as things like the Tiger Cats and the Blue Jays to go out.
0: Definitely. Jeanette Smith, thanks for the time today.
5: Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you very much. Have a great day and stay safe.
0: You too. Jeanette Smith, City Manager of City of Hamilton, giving us uh, some info on the city's COVID-19 recovery framework.
1: Wake up with the information you need to get the most out of your day. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML.
0: Rain, rain, go away, come back another day. That's that's the song, isn't it? Well, it's not going away anytime soon, at least you know, looking out the window. Still coming down. It did taper off late last night. I was uh, hosting the fifth quarter here on CHML after the Ticats game. And uh, coming in, it was uh, obviously extremely wet. Uh, Watching the game uh, being played in Ottawa, very wet there as well, uh, but leaving home at around 11.45-ish late last night, uh, it it had tapered off. So that was good. So I'm just thinking, you know, coming into work this morning, the rain was gone. But no, it started raining again. And it has been a weird and wild weather uh, September. You know, first day of fall was yesterday, really hot in the beginning of the month. Now the deluge of rain has come. What is going on? Well, let's ask Global News Chief Meteorologist Anthony Farnell, who joins us this morning on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Anthony.
6: Good morning. Yeah, you said it. It has been just a, a wacky September from, from the severe storms earlier, the, the warmth, the electricity that was in the air, and now just uh, to start fall, this incredible uh, rainstorm that uh, has left some places under uh, about a month and a half, was worth of rain in in less than two days.
0: So can we call this abnormal for September?
6: Uh, yeah, I, I would say uh, abnormal weather, the the combination, the fact that every week we have a new event, it's kept me busy for sure. I, I wouldn't say it's it's unheard of. All of these things do happen as this transition season goes from from some of those warm, humid days to to something quite different as we get into the month of October. So it's not unheard of, but but it is unusual.
0: Fall arrived and it almost felt like winter was coming, very damp, drizzly, dreary, gray. Uh, Should we expect more of the same over the rest of the month?
6: Well, for for the rest of this month, yes. I I am expecting it to be a little bit cooler than what we're used to. We're going to see some more rain, nothing like this, but at least showers in the forecast every couple of days. Uh, but I don't think we're done with the, the warmth, the above normal temperatures, and, and the beautiful sunshine. I, I do have it coming back. And, and I think, as of now at least, October is going to turn out to be a, a great month. Everybody that loves those uh, crisp days and, and the beautiful changing colors, I think we're in for a nice stretch before uh, we do eventually turn into this uh, more wintry pattern. But that that's way down the road into Mid late November.
0: Yeah, we don't want to think about that right now. We're we're (laughs) dealing with the rain. Forget about the snow for a second. Uh, We're in discussion with Global News chief meteorologist Anthony Farnell here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. So, how much rain did we get? I mean, uh, I was following your tweets all day yesterday, and you know, there's 80 millimeters here and 60 millimeters there, and nearly 100 millimeters in other places. Uh, That's a lot of rain, isn't it?
6: Uh, that, that's a lot of rain falling in a, a short amount of time. And if you uh, do a drive today and if you go past just farmers' fields, you'll just see uh, inundation, just uh, basically rivers and lakes where there wasn't anything before. We we did luck out that uh, it wasn't overly wet before this. So the first half of the, the rain event just absorbed into the ground, which is what you want to see. And then uh, as it intensified yesterday afternoon and evening, uh, that's, the water that's going into all of the rivers and streams and lakes and uh, we we do still have flood warnings in effect for many areas today so if, if you're out on the roads just be a little bit cautious you don't want to travel anything that's underwater. And, and it takes some time it, it, for this rain runoff to get into some of those bigger tributaries and then eventually into Lake Erie and, and Lake Ontario, which which is going to happen between now and, and the end of the weekend.
0: So where and how did this storm system develop?
6: Oh, it was a, a unique uh, set of events. We, we had just a beautiful stretch of weather last weekend into early this week. Humidity started to build. And then we had this cold front that was moving along and until it reached basically London Hamilton into Oshawa, and then it completely stalled so uh you had this chillier air, north winds, and at the same time all of this tropical moisture. The remnants of, of what was Nicholas, that was a tropical storm down in the Gulf of Mexico, that got thrown into the mix. So uh, we also have this upper-level low that's still spinning uh, over Michigan right now. Uh, so that's that's all playing a role, and, and that front was really the focus for, for those heavy rain totals. And I think uh, when everything's said and done, we're going to have a few weather stations, especially... Uh, west of us that uh, end up with about 150 millimeters of rain and that is just crazy amounts uh, that would cause some flooding Uh,
0: we know you've been a very busy guy whether it was you know tracking tornadoes that was uh, a thing earlier this month and now the uh, the deluge of rain i know the fall forecast uh, i guess is still being worked on because you've been preoccupied with all these other big weather events
6: yeah, and uh, part of it was actually this election. I, I didn't have the resources, the camera, to <laughs>
0: shoot anything. So uh,
6: it all kind of plays in, but it's been a busy month for, for everybody uh, in the newsroom, the radio business. Uh, and yeah, I, I am still working on those details, but uh, I, I can tell your listeners right now, you guys are, are excited uh, <laughs> that, yeah, this is going to, as I mentioned, be a much nicer October. I think we're going to see things calm down. We're going to get a lot of sunshine and, and milder than normal temperatures. And then as as we go later into the season, so mid, late November, uh, I do see this turning in, in a pretty harsh way. And I, I'm. Thinking right now that December uh, is is a month that sees quite a bit of snow, uh, quite a bit of cold, and it's really uh, unusual because we haven't had cold Decembers of late. So this is something that, that a lot of the signals, when we look at ocean temperatures and jet streams and, and just past hurricane seasons and patterns, they all have been pointing to this uh harsh start to winter and then it relaxes as we get into january but now we're we're getting <laughs> way ahead of ourselves
0: <laughs> yeah we'll take it one day at a time and uh, i know the 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 bad weather is on the way but that's not for a little while at least anthony always appreciate the time enjoy the rest of your day
6: Wait,
0: you too. Anthony Farnell is chief meteorologist at Global News, and yes, that fall forecast will come out. Uh, I'm guessing within the next week or so, unless you know something really crazy happens weather-wise, But that's really been the thing this month. It's just been a wild month. The the really hot and humid conditions earlier this month, uh, the tornadoes, whether it was in Lucknow or Barrie towards the end of August, uh, and now this uh, you know this this ultimate rain event. And uh, I know flooding might be an issue for some homes and some residents. Uh, If you are experiencing some of that, certainly call uh, the city or your local um, uh, official who can, you know, deal with a leaky basement or whatever the case is. And uh, hopefully you're on to better things uh, down the line.
1: How about some news and opinion to go with your coffee? This is Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML.
0: Interesting survey by the Mental Health Research Canada and it surveyed just over 3000 Canadians uh, back in August and it found that despite the easing of COVID-19 restrictions over the summer months our heightened pandemic anxiety is still there so anxiety depression still remain high despite those easing of restrictions. Let's bring in our next guest to chat about this, Dr. David Dozois, a professor of psychology at Western University and a member of the board of directors for mental health research, Canada. Dr. Dozois, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm well, how are you? Not too bad. Should we be surprised at these results? Well, they're
7: alarming for sure. Um, I mean, just to give a bit of context, we've done about eight polls now with Mental Health Research Canada, and they've been conducted, you know, every few months trying to get a sense of uh, the mental health of Canadians uh, through the pandemic. And in our first poll, we found that anxiety, you know, basically quadrupled from about 5% to 20% of people who said anxiety was high to extremely high. And that's basically maintained, you know, throughout the, the different polls we've done, even though, you know, things, restrictions are lifting, we're you know, it feels like we're getting a bit of a glimmer of hope. Same with depression. It doubled in the first poll from pre-pandemic to, you know, to when it started uh, from 4% to 10% and has basically uh, been slowly, you know, increasing bit by bit as as the pandemic has continued. Um, it's It's sort of not surprising in a sense. I think part of the issue is that we're dealing with a lot of unpredictability and a lot of uncertainty with respect to the uh, you know, the Delta variant in particular, I think there's there's been a lot. We sort of got a glimmer of hope that things were, would improve. And now it feels like we're on this roller coaster again and going back to, um,
0: you know, back to. to Are you still with us, Doctor? I think we lost him. Oh, dear. Hey, Dr. Doseboy, oh, we got you back. <laughs> uh, I wanted to ask Sorry, you. I
7: don't know at what
0: point you lost me. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we got most of it, I'll tell you that. Okay. Um, the survey also showed that 28% of respondents said they predict they'll experience high levels of anxiety if restrictions were to be introduced. Um, obviously, we're not there yet. Is this a case of these individuals, you know, thinking about that other shoe dropping and, and going back to what was the case over the last number of months?
7: Yeah, I mean, I I think it's a lot of the fact that we breathed a sigh of release with the vaccine rollout. We saw cases improve. I think I think we started to have more hope. And now all of a sudden we're hit with the Delta variant. We're hit with, uh, you know, more restrictions potentially. And you know, cases climbing again. And I think that, that concern is the, the feeling that the window of normalcy that was there is kind of closed all of a sudden. And so I think you know, it's increasing our our worry, we start to now wonder, is this ever going to end? Is this going to be our new reality? Um, And we start to have to consider, are we going to have to reorder our lives again, the way we did before? So I think I think that's what's driving a lot of the anxiety.
0: There has been a lot of concern uh, for our children because they were out of school for many months. There was, Mm -hmm. you know, high rates of uh, 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 suicides, you know, kids talking about suicide, shining a light on that. How are kids doing now that they're back in school, or at least once the survey was conducted in in August? uh, They're obviously looking forward to that. What can you tell us about the state of our children?
7: Well, I think it, it's difficult. I mean, I think kids are resilient, which is a good thing. Um, we do know that uh, a lot of parents who responded to this survey indicated that their kids aren't getting, you know, much in the way of connection with other people, which isn't surprising. That is uh, concerning, and I think that's true for, for all of us. I think social isolation is one of the main mental health indicators uh, for, for us in this survey. Having a negative impact on people's mental health, uh, and that's been consistent throughout the poll. That social isolation, you know, really feeling like we're not connecting with others, and and the the fact that virtual connections, um, which had a positive impact early on in the polls, is now really losing its effect. I think we really do need and crave belonging and connectedness, and and physical, you know, touch and interactions with other people. And I think kids are experiencing something similar to that as well
0: should also note that the survey shows that more and more Canadians are reaching out for mental health help which is good news Uh, Dr. Doswell Mm -hmm. will have to leave it there we're out of time but thank you very much for joining us and shining a light on this important topic Yeah, thanks for having me. Dr. David Dozwell, Professor of Psychology at Western University and a member of the Board of Directors for Mental Health Research.
1: Serving up a healthy dose of news, traffic, and engaging opinion. This is Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900-CHML.
0: The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode, and make sure you rate and review.